Welcome to Within the Margins. I'm your host, Rachel Brown. Welcome to Within the Margins. I'm your host, Rachel Brown. Today, producer Isabel Packard and I are joined by two non-binary students from Emory's campus to discuss their social, personal, and emotional lives. Isabel is joining me because they are also non-binary, and at Within the Margins, we believe in the importance of being able to tell your own story. Jai and Casey both offer unique perspectives into what it means to be non-binary on Emory's campus and what it is like to navigate your identity in college. For this episode, we interviewed them separately and combined pieces of their interviews in order to get the best perspective possible. Hi, welcome to Within the Margins. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, My name is Rachel Brown. And my name is Isabel Packard. And Jai, can you go ahead and introduce yourselves for us? Hello, hello. Um, My name is Jai Barnett. I am a current second year here at Emory, uh, and I am a uh, dance uh, and movement studies major, uh, and also like on the pre-nursing track right now. I identify as non-binary using they, them pronouns, um, like strictly uh, using those uh, pronouns. I don't uh, feel comfortable with like, you know, uh, he, him, or she, her. Right now we're joined with Casey Kinsella, who is a junior at Emory College. Um, Casey, would you mind introducing yourself and sharing your pronouns? Hello, my name is Casey. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a double major in philosophy. I'll be getting my BA in philosophy and I'll be getting my BS in environmental science. Identity as being non-binary and what that term specifically means to you. Um, And being non-binary to me is a big... uh, a big emotional thing for me that like impacts every single part of my life in like more ways than like you might initially think of. It obviously like affects like um, my emotional being, you know, um, just like being able to feel comfortable within my own skin and feel comfortable with, uh, you know, mainly how people see me um, and accept me. Uh, but it's also very comforting to feel physically both internally, uh, feeling like that I am who I'm supposed to be within my own body, but also um, externally as well, like physically feeling like that this is who I am in my own body and other people get to see that and see me for me. Non-binary is, is such a vast and beautiful term. It's it's really like an, an, an ocean of possibility and it's like an ocean of experience as well. I think each non-binary person's experience is completely unique and completely different and almost completely in incomprehensible or incomparable. I, I think it's really difficult to uh, really connect with other people on a level outside of your own experience or you only have your own experience. So I just wanted to preface things um, by saying that because I, I only have my own experience and I think my experience is beautiful, but it's um, the experience of a non-binary person as well. And to me, being non-binary is completely escaping the trauma that was caused when any way ever 
throughout my entire life. I think the biggest one is probably when you're born and you're told that you have to act a certain way, you have to be a certain way, not only from a gender perspective, but from a perspective that I think extends throughout your entire life. You know, there's always an image being crafted, a form, an essence that may be outside of you, may not be even contained by you, but to reclaim that for yourself is incredibly powerful and an incredibly unique experience. And you mentioned that you use they, them pronouns. What is your relationship to these pronouns? That is a really uh, interesting question. For me, um, which is like kind of different from how I feel like that a lot of people look at they, them pronouns. Uh, people like to look at they, them pronouns a lot in a sense where it feels like a, like a third gender, you know, or like a like a um, an alternative way of defining your gender. But for me, uh, using they, them pronouns like represents how I feel about being non-binary, which um, kind of means that at least for myself, I see myself as being neither um, like masculine and feminine, but also feeling like I tap into both masculinity and femininity at the same time. And I feel like that using they, them pronouns for myself is a really great middle ground for me to attach to and feel like that that really suits who I am. Yeah, that was really beautiful. And and you mentioned kind of coming into your own, coming into your own gender identity. Do you want to talk about more how you um, came to that? Yeah, I would love to. So I would say my first experiences of gender discomfort as well as, and I don't, I don't necessarily love using the word dysphoria because of its implications and the implications it's had. Um, but yeah, I would say my gender discomfort uh, from an early age, just always wanting to avoid my own masculinity, especially when like as a teen, I became obsessed with like trying on my mom's clothes and like cross-dressing privately. And it's something that I sort of was like, oh, like I... I'm just like this person doing these things, but like, if a lot of I do need to transition at some point, like that'll happen later. At that point in my life, it was just doing it so for the sake of doing it, <laughs> and doing it because it was something that Emory felt normal and, and comfortable. Because for me, clothes are just clothes. And if any I was like a freshman, you feel more comfortable coming uh, to Emory and thinking about housing, thinking about like a roommate situation. You know, like, where am I going I say, to live? Like, where then, is this building um, in comparison to, like, where my classes are? You know, like, the really typical questions that people ask. Clear that um, but for me, being, like, non-binary for thinking about, about myself it really stressed position. me out thinking about, like, what my, uh, like, standing point was going to be walking in. Um, like, you know, who's going to be on my floor? Who am I going to be sharing a room with? You know, like, what are their opinions about not only, you know, non-binary people or just like gender non-conforming individuals, but also just queerness in general, you know? Um, and so it was very nerve wracking. Um, and it almost made me want to push for having a single dorm to kind of protect myself and already have these walls, both like metaphorically and physically, 
that could protect me and separate me from everyone else because I just wasn't feeling like it was worth the risk. I think it's really difficult. Just um, like I can't imagine being a non-binary student looking for housing at Emory. You know, there's, I know one person um, and who is currently a first year and they were like, okay, like you can either live with a person of the same gender that you were assigned at birth or you can live by yourself. And that was the options given to them. And I think that taking away someone's ability to have safety in their own home by saying you can't have a roommate and then the only solution is to be giving that person a room by themselves is to like co-currently create safety for that student, yes, but also deny them community, deny them any sort of sense of what it means to be a roommate you know like I had some really silly experiences being a roommate and I feel so bad for all the first years that didn't get to have roommates when they were living on campus during COVID for similar reasons but um it's just like I think there just needs to be more of an initiative to unite these people bring these people together and do it in a way that they actually feel safe but something that I realized after, you know, coming onto campus is that, you know, you get to see, um, you know, co-ed dorms. You get to see, like, you know, half of this hall is, like, all, you know, male students um, or, like, you know, male-identifying students. And then, you know, on the other half, you have your uh, female side as well. But also something that I kind of learned throughout the year is that there are opportunities for students to actually uh, be of like opposite sex or of differing genders to share uh, a room. Um, but of course, that did not apply for me last year uh, as a first year student during this COVID pandemic. So we were all in single dorms, uh, no matter like what the situation was, if you were on campus. Um, so that stress quickly left. But then going into this year, you know, thankfully, like Emory went back to uh, full occupancy. Um, and so I kind of like was experiencing that same uh, like influx of feelings uh, about like, you know, what do I do? You know, and luckily, like I have established friends over the past year and I was going to be rooming with them. But there were some complications with my rooming situation that ended up, ended up uh, like making me want to change um my my rooming situation so i was definitely like i have no idea what i'm walking into right now you know uh but something to uh appreciate it's like i feel like that a lot of people here at emory are very open-minded they are very tolerant and accepting um and so like my roommate right now is great you know it's something that i know that is an option to me now is that you know for next year uh, or like for other students who are like, you know, you know, taking their own journeys and paths throughout Emory's like you are able to um, have options for like your living situation, you know, and Emory does a good job of making those things available. It's just that it's not really well known. 
Uh, and so just like, you know, those of you who are listening, just like know that those options are open. Don't feel afraid to, you know, step out and grab for those opportunities, you know? Um, a saying that I've been putting into practice more lately is like, closed mouths do not get fed, you know? So if you have questions, if you have, you know, these feelings of anxiety and things like that, do your best to self-advocate for yourself because you're all the more better for it. I think a question that I had, we've been talking a lot about isolation and community. And I was wondering um, what your experiences have been connecting with other non-binary students on campus, or if that is something that's harder to find, especially in those queer spaces and queer communities that you were talking about that are so important? I will say me personally, uh, my uh, interactions between non-binary individuals on campus are very like far uh, and few in between. (laughs) So um, it's definitely hard to find people that uh, share like the same identity as you. Because, you know, you're not just, like, walking around and being, like, hey, like, are you non-binary? Hey, like, you know, are you, like, the same as me? You know, like, let's, like, you know, match up. Like, it, it, it's not like that, you know? And so when you're walking around campus and, um, you know, you're seeing all these people that are walking by you and things like that, it can feel very isolating in those moments, you know? But, of course, like, we have, you know, loads of various events here at Emory. And of course, like there are those uh, specific instances where I will meet someone that's also non-binary. And that for me is always uh, an amazing experience for me. Seeing like how their gender expression, like is just, you know, coming to full fruition in front of me uh, and being able to like relate in this manner of uh, you know just being out and open and embracing ourselves and embracing each other, and that is something that's extremely beautiful and it's something that I value a lot. I just kind of wish that more of those interactions were like made available for everyone, uh, not just like on like a person you know like not just on a non-binary individual to like another non-binary like type of interaction. I feel like that. Um, more people should be able to experience that same level of like appreciation uh, and like joy, um, like when it comes to seeing someone who is non-binary being themselves, you know, in the light, you know, because uh, I feel like for me, I understand it so well because I'm also going through it at the same time as them. You know, like I deeply relate to that. And that's why it's so beautiful to me. But I feel like that it's also very, um, it's not its not very difficult to kind of, uh, from, from, a, from a third person perspective to kind of understand, you know, on, on, on a very general level that this person is just looking for uh, an escape and an, and, and an opportunity to let out their complete and full authentic self. I, I want more people to see non-binary people in that type of way, 
not just on a non-binary individual to another non-binary person um, specifically. You know, um, of course, like I can understand another non-binary person's uh, feelings and experiences because I'm also going through that at the same time. You know, I'm also experiencing all of those emotions, uh, those sensations, you know, like the, the feelings of feeling validated and feeling seen. Um, and I just feel like it's not that difficult for uh, other people to, to see on a very general level uh, a non-binary person being able to be their full and complete authentic self out in the open. And that should be something that is celebrated um, and that is recognized and acknowledged. Um, and so I just, I just hope that more people can start to pay attention to that um, and can start to see non-binary people in a way that they deserve to be seen. You were talking a little bit earlier about extracurriculars and are there any extracurriculars at Emory that feel particularly gendered to you? Um, how do you feel that Emory institutions, clubs are really still reliant on binaries? I feel like you can see that in um, like, especially like this, the sports realm. And I'll just like dig into that a little bit more. Uh, for example, like me, I'm on the, uh, the men's club volleyball team. Uh, and obviously, I do not identify as a man. Uh, that should be like abundantly clear. But it it brings it to uh, into question. You know, where do you go then? How do you fit in this type of equation then? You know, logical sex is which is a male, and just go with that. You know, I can't keep letting uh, uh, situations and circumstances that are just like this hinder me and stop me from also being able to have opportunities just like everyone else. And so how I approached it was I, I had to, you know, look within myself and ask myself, what am I wanting to communicate? You know, like what, like what is the goal that I'm trying to achieve um, when it comes to how I want to be accepted in these types of spaces that are not, typically made for non-binary people. So I addressed it with uh, my exec board members and was just like, hey, if I'm going to join this team, I really need these boundaries drawn in the sand and to not be crossed. And that's like a very respectable thing to do. Like you never feel ashamed about putting your foot down when it's necessary to protect yourself and to prioritize yourself. That is very important for all of my other non-binary uh, babies out there. Please realize that you have a say in how things work out for yourself and what you want um, and what you feel like that you deserve because it all comes from respect and tolerance and uh, acceptance, okay? And if you're walking into a space that does not have those three things, then you are better off without it, I'm telling you. And of course, I'm coming like from the perspective of talking about volleyball. So um, <laughs> like it might, it might not it totally line up with everything, but just try to get that in the back of your mind, of course. We also see that um, a lot when it comes to like our frats and sororities. Like I will say um, 
Like for me, I am completely turned away from thinking about joining a fraternity uh, or just joining Greek life in general because of uh, one, like the stigma that surrounds Greek life. And I'm sure like everyone that, that's listening to this podcast understands like the term like frat, frat boy or like, you know, or thinking of like, um, you know, these typical uh, definitions of people that are in Greek life that tend to be like really negative and tend to be like really aggressive towards um, like minority groups, especially when it comes to queer people. So that for me made me think that those types of spaces are not safe for me. And that's like a really scary thing to think about. Um, and so it kind of pushed me away from even thinking that that type of thing is possible for me. But it's also thinking about how much effort you would have to put in to make it into that space, right? And so again, using myself as an example, let's just say like I was like to join one of these frats on campus, right? Um, and I'm already feeling this pressure to feel like that I have to meet this kind of like masculine and like male role, right? Because I'm just surrounded by a bunch of cisgendered men, right? I'm going to have to go through the process of almost like trying to push them to be in a, a space where they can't accept me by constantly explaining how I how I identify, like redefining my my entire being, my entire person to them. And then making sure making sure that we can come to this same level of agreement and understanding. And that in itself is very tiring and exhausting. And it can be scary as well to constantly feel like that you're having to come out to every single person that you're uh, sharing a space with. You know, and then you you also think about that just from the very start, you don't feel like that those opportunities are open for non-binary people to begin with. You know, so there's so many different factors that come uh, into that, you know, like, and then another point that just came to mind is like thinking about like how people see frats, thinking about like the, the social eye, right? There's a, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. Like, how do I feel as a non-binary person within a frat, you know, you know, how do I look? Or like, how do we as a whole look now? Is it is it a negative thing? Is it a positive thing? Are people saying things about me? There's so much that someone could be feeling like being non-binary in these types of spaces. Um, and I just feel like that it's extremely hard and it should be extremely well thought out when you're thinking about um, joining extracurriculars just because you never know what that will do for you, whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing. I would really hate to see someone who is looking for an opportunity that ends up getting hurt by it, you know, and that's just something that we as non-binary people always have to think about is like whether or not like, you know, this opportunity or this specific situation that we're really wanting is worth it for our own safety and well-being. Yeah, I think that is such an important point that you're making, how difficult it is to walk that line between feeling like you can assert your individuality and autonomy, but then also, of course, wanting to be 
safe in the community spaces that you're inhabiting at Emory. How do you think that transfers to the classroom um, and navigating that boundary between expressing yourself and wanting to feel safe, specifically in regards to professors? I would say it really like depends on like the type of classroom setting that you have. So for example, like if you are in a lecture type uh, classroom where you have like over a hundred students in your hall, you know, I feel like for me personally, I don't feel very pressured about being seen in that instance. Um, because, you know, you're, you're sitting in a room with so many people, you're probably like not going to talk to many of them. If you do, good for you, you're social and I love that energy. But for me, it's not the same. Like I, I, I come to class, I, I might have a friend or two in the class and we might chat for a second, then I'm just there listening, you know? And then I just walk out without saying anything to anyone. And so in those moments, I don't feel like uh, that my uh, identity as non-binary is being brought into question. Or if there is any moment of uh, attention that might arise in those pieces. Now, when it's a classroom where you only have about 20 people and your professor is like, let's all go around the class and introduce ourselves, say our pronouns, this and that, and the third, that's when I start to feel uh, not really stressed, but I start to feel this pressure about how uh, I am um, approaching the class as a whole when it comes to my introduction. Uh, am, am, am I making it clear enough, right? Are they seeing me as non-binary? Like, do I look too masculine? Do I look too feminine? Like all of these, uh, there are so many different questions that race through my mind when I'm put in those cases. Now, this is not to say that, uh, you know, introducing ourselves is like a bad thing, not at all. It just more, uh, it brings out all of these unknown possibilities of what can come once you do that, you know? Because um, you never know, like you could like really like someone could really react badly to that. Uh, it, it could uh, again bring up this discussion about okay, well, what is being non-binary? And it can put you in this position where you feel obligated to have to teach, which is like something that you know um, non-binary people should not always have to do. Uh, we shouldn't have to feel like that our identity needs to be explained to people just so that we can get that respect and understanding and acceptance. And so it really just depends. It really just depends. I will say personally, when it comes to these situations where I'm in a small class setting, usually like they work out really well. You know, I like we go around, we say like, um, you know, I have, uh, I, or I use they, them pronouns. And usually everyone understands. I think for me though, it's just like realizing that not everybody's going to be able to stay consistent with that. Some people are gonna slip up, you know, uh, and that's okay. But as long as like you see that effort, you see them trying, you see them uh, like actively seeing you for you and accepting you for you, then what really more can you ask for, you know? Cause you're getting that effort, you know, and you're, you're feeling seen in those moments as well. When it comes to professors, it, I kind of look at it in that same way where I'm like, what more can I ask for? As long as they see you, 
And as long as you tell them, I mean, you really shouldn't have to tell them more than once, but it is, I feel like it's reasonable to, you know, uh, be able to ask for a, um, a reminder or something like that. Um, but you know, like professors come into contact with students all throughout the day, right? Um, and I've never had an experience with an Emory professor where they're being disrespectful towards me and my identity. I feel like that, honestly, the professors here at Emory do uh, the best job of advocating and for like really actively paying attention to whether or not there is a gender non-conforming person within their classroom. And that always makes me feel great. Like I literally always like, you know, relax my shoulders. Like you can like see like, just like the tension just roll right off me. And that for me, like it's always uh, something that makes me realize that like, I, I just know like first day, like that I really like this professor. If they're able to do that, if they're able to verbally say that this is a safe space for gender non-conforming people and other queer people. Like, that's everything right there. And so coming from someone who has authority in the classroom, that is extremely important, you know? And then it also like lets you know that you have support. And so like, if you ever have any issues with classmates about it, if you ever like want to say something, I know I'm the confrontational type, <laughs> which means that if I have an issue, I am definitely bringing it up. And I will talk to the whole classroom about it. I will stand up, like do not get it confused because I just find that very important to me uh, to do. It's like to stick up for myself in that type of way. But yeah, definitely professors do an absolutely wonderful job. Thank you to all of you professors uh, like that do that in your classroom. And I like encourage like other professors to do the same thing. And also like, just like, again, like towards like my other uh, non-binary people that are listening to this uh, podcast right now, it's like work on getting to uh, like a mindset where you can feel more comfortable about advocating for yourself because it really is such a valuable skill to have. And just like, just being real, like for us, like there's not always going to be like guaranteed support. And so being able to have that grounded and foundational support for yourself is going to be so powerful, I promise. Yeah, that's really good. And now that you've kind of um, spoken to other non-binary people who might be listening, what would you want the broader Emory community to really know about your identity? Hmm. That is like a really deep question, honestly. Um, So thank you for asking that because it's really challenging my brain to think about like in a, in a very general type of realm, like what would I like to change basically? Or what, what would I like to see? I feel like what, what I would appreciate the most is when you have these like initial interactions with people, right? Um, I really just would like for more people to have like a, base, a basic uh, understanding of what non-binary is, right? Because I feel like one of the biggest uh, deterrents for me when it comes to meeting someone is that I tell them that I'm non-binary. I tell them that I use their pronouns and they're immediately like, what is that? And I feel like for me, like my immediate reaction or my immediate emotional experience is feeling like that I am feeling minimized or I'm feeling less important because you don't know 
like my identity. You don't know what I'm talking about, you know? And so you feel like that you've like hit a wall at this point. And so I feel like that there can be a lot more, um, uh, uh, or let me say a bigger push towards being uh, more knowledgeable about different identities on this campus. You know, we, we go to a liberal arts school. I feel like that a lot of us share this like same passion for being knowledgeable about the things that are happening uh, in this world and, you know, paying attention to things that should be pushed for. But uh, then again, like we do have a lot of room to improve. And that definitely comes into play when you're talking about marginalized communities. And that includes the queer community um, and all of those different uh, sexual and gender identities as well. And I'm not saying that that means that you have to, uh, you know, consume like discourse about, you know, you know, queer topics and all these like different things. It's just at least know that people like me exist. It, it, it doesn't even have to be like me in general. Just know that these groups of people exist instead of, you know, having these um, off chance moments where you meet somebody that um, identifies in a way similar to mine, which actually has been talked about a lot for the past couple of years. You know, like being non-binary is not a new term. Um, sometimes it just feels so invalidating to experience that so many times when you're first meeting someone. And again, that also plays into like having to explain yourself over and over and over again to people, you know, that that's not something that I should feel forced to do every time. Um, and that's like really important for me to, uh, I guess, like want or accept from everyone at Emory to kind of do a better job of. And let's also like, you know, when we're talking about, you know, being knowledgeable about these identities, like let's also not forget about intersectionality as well. You know, if you're talking to someone like me who is black and is non-binary, like don't skip over that fact. Like let's let's not skip over that. Let's not, you know, push into this like area of like, well, like I don't see color type moment while also stacking on I don't understand what non-binary uh, is, is let's not do that uh, because that's going to toe the line for me for not only feeling invalidated in my gender identity but also feeling disrespected as a person of color really be aware yeah and can you elaborate a little bit more about what it's like to be black and non-binary I think that is a very definitely like a really um, important intersection that we can't ignore. Absolutely. Um, let's see, like, where do I want to start? Honestly, I guess I, I can talk to um, this specific area just to give you a general idea. So let's talk about something that's very active for people that are around our ages, right? So we're thinking about like getting into like relationships, is talking about social life, is talking about all of these interactions, right? When you think about Black people that also identify as some type of queer identity, um, in the way that I see it is that we are always put at like the bottom of the totem pole. Or like at the bottom of the pyramid, right? Um, and so what that kind of means is that 
we already have this like black racial identity that is stacked against us and we are hopefully all aware of what i mean by that and if you don't basically uh like go back to you know the black lives matter movement i'm not going to spend time addressing that when that's already been uh, the, the topic of discourse for a while but when you add on a queer identity to that right it amplifies how much uh, worse it gets in terms of your experience in life, right? Because you're already being uh, invalidated, disrespected, looked over, like basically just being dug into the ground by being Black, right? But then you also are being like, you know, just beat down upon by being queer as well. And that's all, like, it's also like dangerous sometimes to feel like that you can come out in spaces, right? And so you have all of these adversities that are being stacked against you and forced upon you that you're going to have to survive through all of these traumas and different things that you're having to survive, right? And then you come into these situations when it comes to like things like attraction, right? And when you're being, when, when, when you're black and you're non-binary or when you're gay or uh, a bisexual, lesbian, pansexual, all these different things, you are not seen in the way that you would expect. You will, you do not see a lot of people um, feeling attracted towards people that have these two intersectional identities, right? A lot of people do not deem Black people attractive, right? And then when you also stack on this clear identity, that limits your pool so much more when it comes to how many people look at you and see you as attractive or want to be with you or want to, you know, get to know you and things like that. It decreases exponentially, you know, and that's what I mean by we are at the bottom of a pyramid. Like, cause there, there are, there are so many of us, but we feel like we are worth so little. And for people that are our age, that are, you know, in high school that are growing up, people that are like starting college, you know, like we're, we're very young adults, that uh, type of thing, those feelings and experiences, that influence, uh, that influences like how we grow up, that influences our self-worth, how we grow into ourselves, our sense of independence, all of those things. But for Black and queer people, it is so hard to have those moments where we feel desired, we feel wanted, we feel like we have a chance to get some of those uh, opportunities that we see other people around us having. Like being able to have a relationship, being able to have good, stable friendships, you know? Being able to feel like you are popular, for example, right? We don't get those opportunities, or at least like we feel like that those opportunities are not made available to us. And it's, because of how society sees uh, this intersectionality, right? Both both individually, but together. And, 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 and like I said, being black and non-binary makes it so much worse. And I mean that very literally, like it does make it so much worse. It, it, it calls your entire personhood into question. And it makes you feel like, like am, am I, um, am I an actual person? You know, am, am I normal? Am I like, do I actually belong here? Is there something wrong with me? You ask all of these questions in every single aspect of who you are. 
when you shouldn't have to. You should be able to just exist and live and feel happy and, you know, be a human being, just like, you know, your peers around you. And it constantly, overwhelmingly feels like that those opportunities are not afforded to us. And they are. They are. And we, we will all get those opportunities to um, to feel like we have an equal playing field. But, you know, sometimes you have to realize that, like, right now might not be the right time, you know, or it might not be the time, you know, but it will definitely happen. And I feel like that it's important for Black and non-binary people or Black and queer people in general to constantly try to keep an open mind. Don't let that hinder you. Don't, don't let it stop you. Because, you know, who, who needs anyone else? You got yourself. And, and you have, like, other, like, Black and queer people that are going to do the same thing as you. You might not know them personally, but know that they're out there. Which is, like, part of, like, the reason why, like, I really wanted to come in, like, be a guest on this podcast. So thank you guys so much for giving me this opportunity because... You know, some of you guys out there that are feeling so alone, that are feeling that you're going through so much right now, like you guys deserve to like to hear a voice like mine that is saying that I'm here for you, I'm here with you, and that I'm going through like the same things with you as, as we're navigating life and all that comes with it. You know, it is very important to feel heard, to feel seen, and all of those good things, you know. And I'm hoping that I'm giving um, all of you guys like an opportunity to experience that if you uh, are listening uh, right now, because we all deserve that. And we all need that sometimes. We like can sometimes feel so alone, so isolated, so unwanted, you know, like feeling like that we're just like kicked to the curb. But who's going to be there to like, you know, help us stand back up? You know, who's going to help us like keep pushing, you know, and it's very important to realize even distance, even in, in this type of like uh, distant world that we're living in, in this pandemic, that there are other people too. And they're going to do the same thing with you. Uh, and feel, try to feel some type of like support in that. Sort of wrap up our conversation by kind of like directing it to people who might be listening. What like advice would you have um, for anyone who might be unsure about their own gender identity, um, and what advice might you have for somebody who is non-binary who's thinking about going to Emory or applying to Emory? For any person who's non-binary or, or who, I mean, thinks that they may be non-binary or struggling with their gender identity or, or struggling in any way, I want you to remember to keep the wind at your back and to walk lightly and to walk with kindness and gentleness and to realize that the world we're in is an ocean of possibility and that we're in a universe of choice, choices we can't evade, choices that we're constantly given. So in merely choosing, you're making the best possible choice that you can. So continue to make those choices um, that make you feel best about yourself. And if that means changing what you wear or changing your pronouns or changing your whole gender. <laughs> yeah, like me, that's what I do. Um, then, then follow those things and, and do them lightly. And as I said, try to keep the wind at your back and don't make it an uphill battle.
for non-binary people that might be applying to Emory. And I would say that it's, it's a really amazing school with really, really amazing people, with the best people I've ever met. And a lot of those people are non-binary people. So yes, maybe the institution isn't doing the best it can in some of these forms. Um, but I do think that there is a strong, beautiful queer community here at Emory. And I think um, within that, there's a strong, lively, weird, cool, non-binary community that would love to like go roller skating with you or like collect salamanders with you sometime or do something weird. And um, I just, I just, I constantly hope to meet more non-binary people. I'm always like, oh, yeah, this person gave me MB vibes. Maybe they want, want me to use they, them pronouns for them shit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that there is definitely an awareness going up for it just in the classroom, in one-on-one -on -one conversations, socially, as well as um, outside of all of this on a bigger scale. I think these conversations are starting to happen more and more between people. And that makes me really excited. You guys, if you are questioning your gender identity, if you are feeling uh, instances of uh, dysmorphia or uh, any of those types of things, please um, give yourself time to feel. Give yourself time to like really take in those experiences that you're uh, dealing with in those moments. Don't rush yourself to feel like that you have to reach an answer. Uh, no one should like be putting any type of pressure on you to feel like that you have to have a defined identity uh, that meets someone else's standard right um it took me like my entire high school career to realize that i was not binary to actually feel comfortable in that statement and so definitely like try to experiment like experiment with yourself you know figure out what fits for you figure out um you know what things make you happy what things make you feel like that, that, that in that type of gender identity that you're kind of uh, feeling like you're pushing towards, right? Because that's what I did. I started playing with makeup, right? I started playing like more with like wearing like um, like women's clothes, you know, like going to like the mall and just like picking out like a pair of like women's pants, you know, like that served a lot for me, right? But I had to like get to this place where I gave myself time in order to feel comfortable to do that. And so definitely time, time, patience is such a virtue. I know like that's like such like an overly said statement, but it's very true. Um, and it can like impact, you know, a lot of your guys' like lives and uh, stages in life that you guys are in right now. Um, so definitely just be patient. Uh, if you guys have support systems, like definitely rely on them. Definitely like try to talk about it, you know, give yourself time to think you know, communicate not only with yourself, but if you have someone that you can go to, definitely talk with them about it. Again, this is not saying that you are trying to come to an answer. The answer will come when it comes. 
Um, but it's just giving yourself this peace of mind, right? This peace of body, uh, this piece of feeling and experience to where even if you don't have a label, which a label is not necessary, but as long as you like, you know who you are, you can feel very comfortable uh, within yourself. That is more than good enough. Thank you for listening. This has been your host, Rachel Brown, joined by our producer, Isabel Packard. Join us next time as we chat with international students across campus. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share Within the Margins to hear new stories from the Emory community. Within the Margins is produced by Brahmi Balarajan, Viviano Barreto, Rachel Brown, Ethan Anthony, Gabriella Lewis, and Isabel Packard. Editing by Ethan Anthony. Cover art by Mia Usman and music by Jeffrey Rosen.